Uh, ben, tell us a little bit about your background as a game writer and designer. Well, I kind of fell into the game design and game writing almost by accident. I've been playing for, you know, going on 20 years now, and I've got you know, 50 half-finished games on my hard drive. Um, and I ended up uh, intending to write something forever, you know, and it just... I just never had the energy and the, the time, and I never just made made any effort. And I ended up sending uh, Shane Ivey at Arc Dream a little blurb I wrote, spawned by an RPG Net thread about the idea of using one roll engine to do sort of a like kids and monsters style game. I thinking he might want to throw it up on his website, and then he said, "Turn this into a little full blown game, and I'll you know give you some money for it." So I threw it together, and that became the first edition of Monsters. Uh, and then Shane came back and said, this had a really great reception. Would you like to blow it up and turn it into a full-blown core book? So uh, I, while I was doing that, I also started working on a, the Victorian super setting for our dream for the new edition of Wild Talents, uh, which should be coming out ooh, in a couple of months. And then um, I ended up getting tapped by White Wolf kind of almost simultaneously in a sort of bizarre coincidence to write some on the, some of their clan books. Uh, I started with Deva, and then I started getting some more freelance work at White Wolf. Then Fred Hicks shot me an email after reading something I posted about uh, don't, leave, don't rest your head on RPGN, saying, hey, you might be interested in writing some don't rest your head stuff, and that's the way so that wrote me into don't lose your mind. So it's, it's kind of, uh, it just sort of snuck up on me. And it's reached the point now where I'm pretty much, if I'm not writing, then I have to justify <laughs> my wasted time, basically. Um, so it's usually pretty much spend time with my family when they're awake and then over-caffeinated and write when they're asleep, uh, work during the day. And All right. All right. Uh, so tell us a little more about uh, monsters. And obviously, uh, a lot of people listening to this are going to already know, but tell us, for those of the audience not aware of it. Uh, give us the pitch for Monsters and Other Childish Things. Uh, how you envisioned it and what it's become. Well, the, 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 the quickie pitch we ended up using at Gen Con, uh, which I now use myself because it's, it's succinctly described, it is, um, it's uh, Calvin and Hobbes uh, meets Cthulhu. Uh, as if that troublemaking best friend that no one else can see were real and, uh, and were some kind of hideous creature from beyond time and space. Um, I've always been, I, I love monsters. I just love monster movies, and I love you know, monsters, giant monsters. I grew up with, you know, the, the, the crappy 70s Godzilla films, and um, I watched horror films when I was way too young to comprehend what I was seeing, and it scarred my brain permanently. And, uh, but just, I mean, it's, I totally love monsters, and, and, and the idea of having that monstrous best friend as a kid, was always really appealing. Um, like I didn't imagine a monster in the closet. The uh, it was the it was the ventriloquist dummy in the closet that terrified me, but the monster was what I was hoping would be in the closet. You know the you know the tentacles and hair. Um, so it just kind of it started with an RPG Net thread where someone was asking about I think doing Pokemon seriously. And, and at the time, I was doing a lot with one role, uh, and it occurred to me that you could go with, they could take that hit location system and then extrapolate, like, uh, monster special abilities based on their actual body parts. 
then it just sort of blew up from there. It was like a lot of things came together at once, you know, all this thinking I had done about, you know, monsters and kids and, you know, the idea of monsters representing, you know, sort of power and unconditional friendship um, and that kind of um, positive reinforcement and self-esteem building stuff that ends up leading people to become little narcissists. You know, you know, here's, here, here's, here's awesomeness without any kind of accomplishment to, to justify it. So, and then that just, it just sort of happened. I, I don't, I'm going to go into the design process particularly rationally. I, um, I do it kind of, it sort of builds up in my head and then it sort of falls out. It's more of an intuitive process for me. And so it, when I started writing it, it just kind of happened. And it was like, it was just waiting to come out of my brain. Um, let's see. That sort of monsters. It was, it was really just, it sort of evolved out of this whole dialogue of stuff I've been cramming into my head and people I've been talking to. And um, it certainly owes a certain debt to Ron Edwards' Sorcerer because that game covered the broader idea of, you know, people who have unhealthy relationships with things. Um, I wanted to get away from that, that, that kind of nasty aspect by making it explicit in the very first page that, you know, these monsters genuinely love their kids. Right. But that can lead to as much trouble as, as a hostile relationship. Right. Um, yeah, and speaking of that relationship, that uh, that unconditional friendship, that's one of the major themes in Monster, in not just in the setting, but in the rules, is the relationship mechanic. And so tell us a little bit of how, how you came up with that and how that's worked out in the game. And, well, explain it first to the uh, listeners. Sure. Um, basic rundown, uh, one roll, if you're not familiar with it, is a is D10-based dice pool system. Uh, and you're looking for matches on rolls. So the math really favors larger dice pools because you're much more likely to get more matches. Uh, kids tend to have sort of puny dice pools. So in addition to their stats and skills, they also have things called relationships, which have dice value associated with them. And that's, you know, your emotional ties to people, place, things, you know, your favorite teddy bear or your mom and dad. And um, there's things that make, you know, powerfully motivate kids and define them, connect them to the world. And so if you can tie in your relationship to something you're trying to accomplish, you can throw those dice in and it significantly make, it's a significant boost in, like, your character's ability to, to do cool stuff effectively. Um, but you run the risk of straining those relationships and creating relationship drama. That's... I mean, Monsters runs, you can run it sort of very traditionally with, you know, big plots and story arcs and, and everything. Or you can basically just walk into it and improvise complicated plots just by taking all the relationships that the characters bring to the table and that the players define and just sort of jamming them into a big pile of trouble. Um, it's intended to be kind of like the, the counterpoint to Monsters because Monsters are tied only to their kids. Like, that's, that's the Monsters' exclusive tie to the world. Whereas kids are tied to... You know all all the people around them that they care about, and so you know that tension between sort of the, the 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 monster that just wants you to be happy and you know doesn't understand human consequences, and the people that tie you to the world is one of the things I wanted to get in there mechanically, uh, as well as you know as the the theme stuff. All right, all right. Uh, so the monsters uh, is an interesting challenge to both play and, and run because obviously the basic unit that, or the basic player character is not just you know the kid but also a kid and a monster so 
how is running a game and playing a game of monsters different than a standard RPG? Well, the, uh, the the kids play pretty standard. You know, you have your kid who's your, sort of your your guy, your your character in the game, um, and and getting inside a kid's head is pretty easy. The um, the monsters, I, I I set them up to be a little like community property. Um, when it, when it comes to you know, making mechanical decisions, you know, who the monster bites in a fight, or you know how they use their their special powers, um, the, the the kids player gets gets pretty pretty much tight control over that. You know, they get to say what the monster actually does. That's meaningful enough to warrant rolling dice for it, um, but that actually playing the monster's persona, you know, in the game, like the acting the monster and speaking for the monster, that um, there are a couple of modes you can do it with. My favorite one is probably the, the sort of pass the monster left. So the person to your left can can play the monster, which honestly, I, it's an idea I totally cribbed from uh, Wraith, the old White Wolf game, where you had your shadow guide character that would play your evil alter ego. Um, but in monsters, you know, the, the game master can grab the monster if he needs to, you know, to 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 speak in that character's voice, or other characters, players at the table could also grab the monster. Um, or you know, in some circumstances, if 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 the monster can also be like the sort of the kid's avatar in a situation where the kid's not present, so you know, the the kid could tell the monster, "Hey, go snoop around," and then the player can play the monster for a while. So the monster is more of a flexible character. It's it's not owned exclusively by the player, but it's um, you know, the player gets still gets meaningful control over what the monster can and can't do. All right. Uh, uh, when I actually well, I've run some con games where during while explaining the mechanics, I had the I had the players draw the monster on a paper plate and glue it to a popsicle stick, and then they could hold the paper plate up in front of their face and. And and when they were talking as the monster, to kind of as the the visual cue that they were, you know, in the monster's persona rather than the kid's persona. Nice. Uh, and how did that work out in the uh, uh, the con games? It, it actually worked out brilliantly. Um, like it, I think it, it in fact it's something I'm, I totally do whenever I demo it now because it uh, like everyone got into it immediately, and the arts and crafts aspect of it was was a great riff on you know on kids anyway. So. Uh, yeah, they loved it, and, and uh, I, I've, I've taken pictures of the uh, the monsters people draw. I worked at drawing a monster into, into monster character creation too. So the like the one one method of creating a monster is you draw your monster, preferably with crayon, and you circle the bits that are important, and then you define what those bits do. You know, the, the legs and the tentacles and the, the exposed throbbing brain. <laughs> uh, nice, nice. Uh, now I. I I've run monsters as well, and one of the challenges I've found is combat, because when you have two or, you have three or more players, you know, with three or more monsters, uh, a single enemy, which could be one of the things, another monster from another rival kid, or one of the Mm. various entities listed in the main book, uh, demons or ghosts or goblins or whatever it is, uh, they tend to go down pretty fast when you have three or four monsters wailing on them, because monsters, unlike oh, kids, yes. have a lot of dice and they have awesome and gnarly and all kinds of abilities. So, how do you run combats? How do uh, you manage or balance out encounters for uh, multiple uh, monsters wailing on a single combatant, or or what do you do? Well, usually, yeah, because that's actually. I don't know if it's a if it's if it's if I would call it a design flaw. It's um, 
I intended Monster to be pretty awesome, and I got what I intended without necessarily fully following that line of reasoning to its, to its obvious conclusion. But whenever I stage an action sequence where I need the uh, I need the, the villain or the monster to stay in it for a while, I uh, I create a really complicated scene where you know, there's more than more going on than just the fight. So you know where one one character may have the the, the the attention to spare on you know wailing on the bad guy. The others are trying to rescue their parents from the acid pit, or stop the school from burning down, or you know close the portal to the abominable subdimensions. Um, and just cram as much simultaneous chaos into a scene as possible. So every character has got something to do, which isn't necessarily pounding on my, my, my awesome villain persona that I've created. <laughs> uh, it's, I, I just think about the action sequences in films that I really like, and they're, they're very rarely stand-up fights where there's nothing else going on. Uh, there's usually, you know, it's usually a fight in, in a collapsing building, you know, which is going to fall on top of a bus full of orphans. So the hero not only has to, to pound on the, the bad guy, but he's also got to, you know, save the innocent and, you know, you know, deal with the crazy convoluted circumstances. I mean, I mean the the Star Wars prequels, despite all their flaws, they had some really great stage pieces, like the, the fight in the droid factory, where uh, Anakin and Padme are fighting the um, the flying bug guys, and but there's also the droid factory is you know slamming around them and spraying sparks and molten metal. And they're they're both falling into danger and having to be sort of rescue each other. So that's kind of what I what I try and do is just make an action sequence more about you know more than just the uh, the fight. So that's that's my workaround for the for the for the, for the totally badass monsters. Um, and it's actually something that I'm addressing in some detail in the next monsters book, which is called Bigger Bads. And that's going to be the, the first Monsters book of the new year. And it's going to deal with um, basically, among other things, big hawking adversaries that can, that can singly take on a whole crew of monsters. Nice, nice. Uh, I look forward to that. Um, what other advice would you have for someone who's just picked up your book, picked up Monsters, and is wanting to run it for his group? Because... I found it's a very different RPG because, you know, obviously, you know, having two characters per player, uh, the combat, but also just the theme, just being kids. And it's it's a lot different than you all meet in a tavern and you get a treasure map to this dungeon or uh, there's a vampire in your city and you got to go stake him or something like that. So. Right, yeah. Yeah, the, the um, I mean, my, my advice mostly is, is if you don't have big plots that you want to run with it, if you don't already have some idea of the structure of your game, then um, you know, crib something from your favorite TV show to give yourself some structure, and uh, and then look at the things that the players bring to the table, uh, the relationships, and um... hello. Yes. Yeah. Hello. Oh, sorry. Sorry. I thought yeah. I, I thought I lost you. No. No. Um, the, the 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 players have decided are important enough to put on their character sheets. You know, the relationships and the skills and everything else, particularly the relationships, because. I, I, when I realized what I had had there, I wrote a little one-role relationship complicator. So you grab dice from everyone's relationships, throw them, and that that creates conflict among your relationships. So, you know, it could be as easy as walking home from school one day and uh, finding, you know, your dad and somebody else's mom having a, a knockdown, drag-out screaming match in your front yard. 
and suddenly you know you and another kid have got this crazy chaotic relationship thing to deal with um, that threatens like as a player it threatens like this hunko mechanical awesome that you use to do cool stuff and as a character it threatens this thing that you feel you know powerfully fundamentally motivated by so um, yeah my advice in, in many respects is to is to like really talk to your players find out you know why they picked the relationships they did you know kind of pick their brain about how, how they thought those would work and then ruthlessly exploit them <laughs> to, to generate you know conflict and, and, and chaos and story because I mean the, the thing is and it's so appropriate for this for this game that I mean there's no such thing as bad attention when it comes to like having your your, your stuff used to make plot um, it's like games with, with a lot of a lot of flaws and defects if you know if your if your enemy keeps popping up in your champions game it means that your guy is getting the attention because it's your enemy that keeps popping up which never struck me as a bad thing if you're getting all that extra play time so you know do you thank the GM for for, for taking full advantage and, and hardly abusing your 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 character's relationships because it means play all right um, that's a that's an interesting way of looking at it. I've never looked at the enemy's disadvantage in that light, and I don't think I'll be able to look at it in any other way. <laughs> well, it, it struck me, yeah, I was actually playing, sitting at the table with somebody, and they were getting way more screen time than my character, and I realized it was because they had all these crazy flaws, and the, 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 the game actually was, 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 was punching, and I'm like, shoot, man, I should have totally loaded up on psych limbs. That's awesome. The guy's, the, the, the guy's constantly getting, getting confronted by the things his character fears the most. That's like a great opportunity to just like throw yourself into the mad, screaming melodrama. All right. Um, yeah, yeah, that's, in play, it's, it's, that stuff really serves your interest as a player. So. And that's kind of what I give as advice is for monsters. You know, if you're stuck for plot, just go to the, go to the relationships. Okay. Now, you've already written uh, one campaign setting that uh, sort of changes things up a little bit, Candlewick, Candlewick Manor. Uh, tell us a little bit about it and how it's different from the, the standard, quote-unquote, uh, Monsters campaign. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, I'm kind of notorious for hacking games. Even games I love, I'll, I'll mix them up and say, okay, hey, why don't we use this to run this? Um, and I find that I do the same thing to the stuff I write. So when I set down to write a, a monster setting, I didn't just I didn't write it as per the standard. I changed up the mechanics and the relationships and everything um, because I can't leave enough alone. <laughs> but uh, Candlewick is the sort of creepy orphans in trouble genre, which which is a genre which I don't think really exists. But that's how I describe it. Uh, it's the sort of the series of unfortunate events um, meets the Adams family. You know, it's as if the kids from the Adams family were the ones, you know, orphaned and then sent to a uh, uh, sent to an orphanage full of mystery and strange people and uh, you know, complex situations. But my uh, my goal in writing it was to keep the amount of sort of exposition in terms of des- describing the setting to a minimum. So there's you know, a couple of pages describing the setting in general terms, but the rest of the setting is presented in terms of gameable chunks, like here's a specific location that you can set scenes in, and here's a character you can drop into that location, and here's an organization or secret cult or association that character could belong to, which could explain their motivation. So, kind of like a game setting as Legos. Um... So anybody who plays it can mix and match it differently. And in fact, when I ran two games of this at, uh, at Gen Con, totally different experiences using essentially the same building blocks. Um, 
And for Candlewick, of course, I screwed around with, with some new mechanics because, again, I can't leave all enough alone. Um, characters, because, because these are, are creepy orphans that are you know, doomed to tragedy and, 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 uh, and you know, cold tea. They, um, they don't start best friends with a monster because that would be too awesome. And so they arrive in Candlewick and they're the, they're the orphans which were too creepy and unsettling and, and, and weird to be adopted. And, uh, for some mysterious and unknown reason, they've been, They've been taken from their orphanages across the country and brought to Candlewick Manor, which has recently been converted into a, a home for the un, unfortunate and unloved. Um, and they all have something I call the creepy skill, which works in, very much like a sort of very small scaled-down version of a monster power. If you were building a monster ability and standard monsters and other childish things, it works. It uses the same mechanics as a monster power. And um, the idea is that it's it's like a superpower, but it's like a creepy superpower. Uh, that makes you weird and makes people stare at you. So, uh, the pre-gen NPCs in the book, one of them has spider legs growing out of his back. One of them is all covered in like warty rhinoceros skin. Uh, one of them can see dead people and constantly talks to them even when no one's there. Um, one of them uh, draws pictures that then happen. <laughs> uh, it's kind of like uh, a little Tim Burton. There's no denying that influence. A Tim Burton presents the X-Men? Yeah, <laughs> kind of. Yeah, yeah. I actually, I'm totally stealing that. It's awesome. Um, in in fact, you know, there's I, that, that was probably channeling that unconsciously because you've got the kind of creepy mansion with the Charles Xavier character in the in the in the, in the form of uh, Doctor Candlewick, the current Lord of the Manor. Um, oh yeah, that's great. That's a great tag. I was always having trouble coming up with a quick way to describe it, but that's that's I'm totally swiping that. That's awesome. <laughs> All right. Um, so you uh, obviously received a, oh one other thing about Candlewick is the unlike uh, the standard monsters game the players don't start with a monster they uh, tell us how the players have to find it I guess or how that has to how monsters are introduced into the game sure oh yeah well that probably that ties in another aspect of the game that's a little a little a little non standardized I um. It's it, it, all characters start with an explicit prohibition about backstory. They're they're not allowed to have any. Um, you can think of it, but don't write it down. Don't commit to anything, uh, because one, you know, characters are created in kind of a like like who are they at this very moment? Like, you know, what 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 image in your head describes this character perfectly, and what is their personality like? Without any justification for that, because that's something that's explored through play. Um, there's there's a mechanic that I call it the the echo mechanic, which replaces the relationship mechanic for for orphans at the beginning of the game, and an echo is like a motif or a an omen. It's something that keeps popping up in your life without any kind of explanation. Um, you know, you keep for some bizarre reason in, encountering, you know, distorted reflections in water, or you know, the smell of rose water, or you know, faces in smoke, or you know. You just keep encountering these things, which imply some kind of sense or logical reason in kind of a dream logic fashion, but 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 don't make any sense until they, the the mechanical pressure builds up and you experience a revelation, which converts one of your echoes into a, a relationship with some of the people, places, or things that you've met during your time exploring Candlewick, and there's a little a little game widget for sort of outputting the nature of the relationship and 
things that complicate it. Um, now, when a, an orphan encounters a monster in the right circumstances, because in Candlewick, I, I, I built a bunch of pre-built monsters that inhabit the, the, the various niches in the, in the valley um, with plenty more if you wanted to create new ones. But when an orphan encounters a monster and uses their echoes in a, a certain way, it becomes obvious you know, within the story, you know, within the, sort of the shared fiction, that 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 echo was was all along leading up to this meeting with the monster, and then they can become friends with the monster, and they sacrifice that echo to uh, to to form them, that monster bond, which works pretty much like it does in monsters and other childish things. Uh, the difference here is that the monsters work a little bit differently, rather than being sort of the extra dimensional and vulnerable things that they are in in monsters. They're more like weird inhabitants of this this weird valley. So they actually have a niche, you know, a place they like to live. Uh, Patty Gormish lives in, in, in Ironmonger's Bog. Um, Slyphenir lives up in the uh, the mountains. So, um, so in a sense, they're they're, they're the inhabitants of, of, of the valley that that ha- have their own homes that orphans can go visit and uh, and encounter them in. All right, and. Uh, so what, um, this year, of course, uh, Monster's been put up for, was put up, nominated for several innies. Uh, what kind of feedback have you received from the game so far in terms of not just, you know, what people have said, but what kind of games people have run with it that you've heard about? Or what, ha- has anyone done anything that's really surprised you with Monsters? Oh, man, let me think. Um, yeah, the innies were fantastic. We, we got murdered. Um, <laughs> But the three nominations were brilliant. I mean, it's, it's it's great to say that we got murdered by Star Wars and Changeling and 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 Trail of Cthulhu. I mean, you had to get killed by somebody. Um, the feedback has been wonderful. I mean, hearing what people that people enjoyed reading it and then people are actually playing it has been awesome. I, I think some of the, some of the ideas that blew me away. Um, someone whose name online name escapes me was using it to run. A sort of sci-fi game with robots instead of instead of monsters. So they so they redefine the monster as a as a as a sort of robot companion. Um, and when kids would have different kinds of robots, they were custom built with different with different features, and the robot would be a guardian teacher kind of character. And then they would travel around, you know, in space and visit planets and have crazy adventures. Kind of a Lost in Space plus monsters plus robots plus Kind of a pulp, yeah. It's supposed to transform sort of a pulp era, and it's killing me that I can't remember his name, but because it was such a cool idea, um, uh, I'm gonna have to do some searching to find that out. Let's see what else has 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 wowed me. Um, there have been some great sort of anime adaptations because there's no denying that <laughs> the, the, the you know the, the 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 that that anime genre you know people with monsters are are a, are a big po- you can go it's a big say thing the Pokemon genre yeah. Oh yeah, the Pokemon, and then all the various, yeah, you know, teen, teen and young adult versions of same. Yeah. Um, totally obvious inspiration. One of my distant, distant monsters projects is is is, a, is the anime inspired version of monsters. You know, the distant planet monsters plus psionic teenagers. But <laughs> at this point, that's been pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. That I'm probably not going to get to it for a long time. I've got I've got a bunch of these little half baked ideas that I'm I'm thinking about cramming into a big book at some point and doing it like you know a book with five settings, but. That's um, that got eclipsed pretty quick. Um, oh, golly! I should I should really 
I should really remember some of the some of the actually the coolest things I've heard were people that just took monsters, you know, created some characters, and then basically ran with no plot. You doing the relationship thing and getting people, you know, in these complicated uh, relationship-driven situations, and then hearing the actual play where the players really got into, like, really bought into it. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Like, they actually like took the relationship seriously, and when they were threatened by trouble and monster jealousy it was a motivator to fix it they didn't blow it off as as meaningless and that was very cool i think you know actually though i think some of the coolest stuff i've heard by far is when people actually played it with their kids um because the funny thing is when i wrote it originally i didn't intend it to be played with kids it was more a uh adults playing kids take on things but shane said it could probably really be a great kids game and he's played it with his kids a lot um because kids are both, they totally buy the importance of relationships thing. They, they just intuitively grab it. But kids are also astonishingly ruthless. I mean, <laughs> ruthless. And they do things that like a hardcore grognar dungeon crawler would consider a little, like, a little too far. Um, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm amazed at what kids come up with uh, when, I've, when I've heard descriptions of, 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 of the schemes and then you know, the, the, the kick them when they're down mentality, you know. You know, you t- take the other guy's monster down and they're like, well, let's finish it off. <laughs> Eat him. Destroy him. We're not going to let him get back up again. Wow. Uh, it's, it's like, it's like the, the, you know, the welcome to the jungle, which Lord is the, the playground. Yes, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's 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 interesting to think of the the notion of of, of children as as the innocent. Um, it, it, it's it's not the same thing as children as the um, children as nice. <laughs> uh, and having having my own daughter now, who's almost three, uh, I'm really looking forward to the chance to get to play this stuff with her. <laughs> well, that that will be an interesting game. I I. I, I uh... I, I would pay money to hear that first game with you and her, do- uh, her daughter well, I, her friends. I think uh, uh, I'd be real interested in seeing what uh, turned out. Um, do you have, like, a single favorite monsters, you know, anecdote or story that you like to tell or like to sh- use to, to showcase how twisted the game is or anything like that? Honestly, um I think my previous examples were eclipsed by the, the climax of the Candlewick game that I ran at just Gen Con, um, which concluded with this incredible... It was it was one of those situations where the mechanics and everyone was... The way they were playing their characters and dumb luck just, like, conspired to create this, 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 this amazing climax. And uh, atop Candlewick Manor, Wisteria Candlewick, da- daughter of the house, had just summoned the sort of floating jellyfish monster, the Howler at the Edge. Um having tried to frame the orphans for the, uh, the sacrificial murder of a hobo. Um, she ends up getting stabbed in the eye with a broken pair of scissors, uh, swatted accidentally by the flailing tentacle of the howler on the edge, which is, was in the process of, of bonding with one of the orphans, um, falling off of the, the, the manor into the, 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 the hog wallow, sw- wallow where, uh, uh, groundskeeper Gruner was feeding the corpse of the hobo to, to the hogs. Um, while the whole thing had been had been drawn out that way by uh, the player of the HP's character, the, um, the, the who draws with the colors out of space, uh, who had drawn the picture so it would happen, 
while being hauled on the back of a, of, a, of another character who was fleeing the monster, and it just it just came together so perfectly, like like the imagery and the drawing, and the player actually drew it, and he sent me a scanned copy of it, and I've been after him to post it, to get him to post it somewhere because the uh, the scan perfectly sort of encapsulates that 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 crazy scene. Uh, every everybody at the table was doing something cool, and um, and like everybody's actions like meaningfully contributed to like the big final like showdown um and so that crazy just ludicrous sort of funny gross and 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 gory conclusion was pretty much exactly what i wanted to happen in a candlelit game um it's uh the running gag uh, is usually about about wood chippers and uh one of one of my con scenarios that I haven't run is actually entitled "The Suspiciously Dripping Wood Chipper." <laughs> wow. Um, well, if you're uh, still looking for a place, we can uh, post the uh, image on uh, RPPR's website uh, along with the rest of the for, w- with the interview. Uh, I will totally do that. I, he sent it to me. I'll get permission, and then I'll send it to you. All right. Sounds great. Um, one last thing before we move on to some of your other uh, some other topics. Do you would you like to describe any of the baddie big baddies for just to give us a, a sample a tease, uh, you know to, what what could threaten a whole party of monsters? Oh, uh, cool! Yeah, well, I'm I'm actually working in um, uh, some uh, a scaling system where uh, if you if you're fighting an appropriately enormous monster, each of its body parts are are, are effectively you know, individual monsters. So, you know, it's so enormous you can't attack it its entire body in a meaningful way. So, you know, you could be attacking one of its legs and and it and the function, you know, the mechanical function of that leg is its dice pools would be broken up and among separate smaller hit locations. So, um, you know, literally six monsters could attack a giant monster and each would be gnawing on a separate giant monster body part. <laughs> um the monsters are going to be the really humongous monsters, or are sort of the Cthulhu Zilla scale monsters. You know the, you know the, the gigantic, towering, you know Beast of the Apocalypse type things, um, with a bit of Gamera, some Godzilla, uh, King Kong, all that thrown in there. Um, and there's one of the I'm going to throw in some mini settings. One of them is going to be uh, my best friend Leviathan, which is uh, the the idea of actually having the monsters of the player characters be gigantic gamma scale destroyers you know the sort of gamma is friend of all children, children exactly yeah uh he is full of meat and uh, yes. <laughs> exactly wow that uh um uh, we'll be looking forward to that so uh of course though uh monsters isn't your only work now you mentioned some of the work you've done for white wolf but uh, a lot of people know you for what you write about on rpg.net uh, in particular, there there's some threads, the long stairs, uh, which we'll link in the uh, show notes. Uh, would you like to describe the uh, long stairs uh, setting, or the setting rift, as you describe it? Oh, yeah. It, it, it started, um, I recently got a, a motor scooter, so I've been riding to work on a motor scooter, and in the morning that means you know, no radio and you know, no coffee, no, nothing really except to riding on you know, road helmet noise. So I I've had a lot more of these kind of riffy ideas that I get to work and post immediately. Um, and the long stairs was, was one of those that just popped into my head on the way to work. Um, 
it, it basically the idea that during the A-bomb testing in the 60s, um, the U.S. government punched a hole into this weird dimension or space, you know, this, which, which, which mirrors the, um, the classic sort of D&D-style dungeon. And it, and it evolved from there to be just sort of like, you know, U.S. government invades D&D dungeon to this kind of, um, hard to describe, it's, it's, it's taking the, the, the classic dungeon tropes and then explaining them in sort of pseudoscientific and, and deconstructivist, deconstructivist terms, um, doing the elf as, a, as the as the uh, sort of baiting, feeding structure of a, of a sort of a hideous dungeon-drilling plant, uh, or doing orcs as uh, sort of humanoid predators, as uh, cognitive zombies that, that are highly adaptable to and, and learn from their prey. Uh, and then it really just exploded. Like, I, I lost control of that thread in about, by about the, the, the tenth post. And there, the, uh, people just took it and ran with it. And it actually turned into this 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 phenomenal mass of like of like online sort of role playing and people were exchanging emails between all these secret government departments and you know write, writing up re- lab research about investigations of dungeon creatures i mean it was just amazing where where it went and i sort of stopped contributing to it after a point because i i went away for the weekend and didn't check my didn't check them when i came back there were like two or three hundred extra posts, <laughs> and I just there's just no way I could follow up with it all. So I just said I just started reading at that point, and just kind of, I just just kind of kept up with it. It was it was just fantastic. It was I don't I don't know what the status of that project is. Someone was trying to turn that into a, a publishable um, ransom project, like an actual an actual book, a setting book. But um, I would love to see that actually turned into something. That was really cool. Yeah, uh, it was. Uh, or it still is. I mean, it's still going on, as far as I know. Uh, what's the one idea out of all the, uh, from that thread that really stuck out, that really just uh, uh, grabbed you, that someone else uh, posted about it? Uh, yeah, well, again, I would love to be able to, to name them off the top of my head, but when someone started talking about the uh, access to the dungeon that opened up in the former Soviet Union, being controlled by sort of post-oligarch Russian criminal criminal syndicates, uh, who were auctioning access to the dungeon to um, you know to, to, to for private exploitation, and that took it in, in such a cool new direction and opened up because 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 originally I, embe- I envisioned it sort of with two aspects you know you had like the going down the dungeon dungeon crawl with you know with with special forces angle, and then you had the running around on the surface espionage with magic items angle. And uh, and that really pushed the pushed it towards sort of the the, the born identity style uh, um, espionage that I was imagining, and uh, it really took it to a cool place. All right. Uh, yeah. No. That, I, I I don't remember that part, but uh, I'll have to I'll have to catch up on that thread. Um, what else? What other threads or what other things have you posted? On- RPG uh, Nets forums that have really uh, uh, sparked an interest or have really surprised you later on as the community really grabs it? Well, let's see. Um, a lot of those threads that have blown up huge have been great. Uh, Counting to Infinity is one of my all-time favorites. It's a, uh, it was a thread about sort of the, the sort of a failed post-human sci-fi distant future. You know, the, the idea of very much a 
a character-oriented style of, of science fiction. I guess it very much in, in a similar way to how Unknown Armies makes, you know, sort of the occult and magic about the people involved in it. Uh, try to kind of touch the same themes, but in a science fiction arena. Um, another sci-fi thread, much more pulpy, much more sort of sort of sort of much less concerned with 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 relativity was the sort of hillbilly jump drive, the $100 hyperdrive thread, which which was so much fun and uh, produced some amazing... I mean, people were riffing, like, like planets that, you know, that, that had these insane names because the, the idea was that, you know, you, you use your $100 hyperdrive, you, you take your truck and seal it up, and then... Um, and then you basically, uh, you know, go explore the universe. And so people would find a planet and give it some ludicrous name, and you know, settle it and you know, bail if they got too crowded. Um, but in in classic gamer fashion, almost immediately the threat turned into, oh, people would use this to destroy civilization. You know, they've turned this into a into the ultimate weapon. The, 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 the book that inspired it was uh, by Jerry Altion. It was the getaway special and the sequel, um, Anywhere But Here. And I emailed the author because I was curious if he had a workaround to the sort of weapon of mass destruction aspect of the jump drive. And he said, uh, no, no, I just, uh, I just didn't write about it. <laughs> uh, interesting. Uh, of course, uh, we'll be linking to those in the show notes as well. Uh, but a lot of your work seems to be a lot of this sort of... Uh, I guess the, the the current term is to mash up, remix, uh, <laughs> yeah. things. Um, what is your sort of central philosophy towards uh, game design or game writing? Uh, is it just to take these sort of, you know, item A and item B and mix them up and see what happens? Or, uh, you know, item A, item B, and then Cthulhu and add them up? Or... Uh, <laughs> Well, I love. I, I mean, I do love mixing it up. I mean, I, that's that's just that, that's a lot of fun to imagine how that stuff how that stuff falls out. But I think honestly, I, I I don't really have a cohesive philosophy of design, or anything. I, I if anything that anyone picks out is a, a, a constant thread in my writing. Um, someone's probably noticed the intelligent apes at this point, but uh, it's it's there by accident. Um, it's, I tend to write just sort of sort of just sort of. Uh, Emerges. I, I'm not a particularly conscious designer. Um, I just sort of mess around with it till it feels right. And uh, the, um, I guess my, if I had if I had one thing I really wanted to do, it would be make sure that the actual writing itself is is is, is fun to read. Because um, I know a lot of these games, you know, get read and don't get played. So you know, added value on the front end. If it's enjoyable to read, then you know you got that out of it. You know, even if you never played it, it was a fun book to read. So, I guess I try and keep the writing fun to read, and uh, and keep the game mechanics something that will excite people and produce, you know, ideally produce kind of fun, unexpected play. All right. Um, I'm not a, I'm not a particularly the theory stuff. I really appreciate the in in product of the the, the, the deep theory discussions. Um, some of the techniques and, and mechanics that come out of that, I've, I've shamelessly ripped off. Um, discussing theory itself tends to make my eyes droop a little bit. So um, when I'm actually designing, I'm, I'm probably I'm probably scamming a lot more off people than I even know. But uh, but uh, yeah, I'm not a particularly uh, organized or, or, or deliberate designer. It just sort of popped into my head. 
Well, uh, aside, you, you know, you mentioned you know you want games to be playable as well as readable. Uh, are there any other things you keep in mind when you're writing? Any other uh, principles or maxims that you try to follow while you're uh, creating a game? Well, from from mechanical stuff, I, I like open box. I like I like the reader to know why I, I wrote it a certain way. Um, and I like to point out the flaws of my own stuff. Uh, so if, 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 if there's an exploit there, I like to say, I like to just call it out in a sidebar and say, yes, you could use this to break the system, but seriously, why would you want to do that? Um, rather than just assume, you know, people won't want to do that. I just, I just like to just call attention to it and say, yeah, you could do that. And it would probably do a, a sucky game. So, you know, don't. <laughs> you just, people, honestly, I think people play have the game, have the actual play experiences that they deserve. And I don't mean it to sound like punitive, but um, I think if you if you really try and game the system and you know break it and take advantage of it, then you're probably not going to have a great time at the table. So you kind of get what you're get what you ask for, really. All right. Uh, what games or game writers or designers have really influenced you? I mean, you mentioned Ron Edwards' uh, Sorcerer earlier. Uh, what else? Uh, I mean, uh, Greg Stolze, undeniably, was is, is kind of the writer that I'm trying to be. <laughs> I'm I'm totally scanning his career path uh, in, in in freelancing for White Wolf, and uh, and so uh, yeah, I'm pretty much trying to trying trying to um, Trying to assume his identity, and uh, I think if I if I channel that avatar a little harder, I'll be able to do it. Um, <laughs> reality will realign, and I'll and I'll become Greg Stolze, and then everything will be right. Uh, but honestly, I have uh, I've read so many games, played so many games that I think I, I would shortchange a lot of people if I if I. If I started trying to list, you know, influences and, and authors, I mean, um, I could probably write, you know, a book alone about the people that have, well, anything, you know, anything that inspired me and influenced right me. Uh, well, you know what? I've actually just because I just finished reading Mutant City Blues. Robin Laws is, is has been much in my mind. His style of design. Um, I think Mutant City Blues is really interesting because it's it uses the gumshoe system, which is that uh, mystery pacing mechanic primarily. Right. And I'm actually because because again I can't leave enough alone. Um, looking at, at at subverting it and instead of do, using it as the um, sort of uncovering a, a a pre-generated mystery, using it to spontaneously generate a mystery on the fly based on you know player input. Um, but I, uh, I really like. Let's see, a lot of the the things coming out of the forge. Um, some of that output is it blows me away, you know, and and that's kind of a um, in terms of sort of a crucible of game design. The things that, that that come out of it that produce some of these these little, you know, diamond hard gems of games that, that these perfect implementations of, of narrow themes. Um, but but more than that, they end up producing some really fantastic mechanics that that I that, that I try and grab a lot of. Um, on the flip side, I mean, even something as as, as broad as, as the new implementation, like the new version of D and D, has got a lot lot to recommend it. Um, I mean, they basically have done something where they've taken 
a really clever board game and used it as the their complex resolution mechanic. And I don't mean that disparagingly. Like it's a really fun board game. Um, and uh, I mean, if, if if you can use Jenga as a complex resolution mechanic, then then hell, a board game is almost mundane. Uh, and you know, for a free, and you can actually drop the role playing completely and play it as a, you know, D and D as a, the new D and D as a as a as an extremely satisfying tactical board game. Um, and then they've done some interesting things with you know, um, with their skill skill resolution. They've adopted some of that sort of four G uh, stake setting style stuff, and it, it's just there's so much cool new stuff. Coming out in the in, in in the industry right now that and it's cross fertilizing beautifully. You know, everybody's talking. You know, everybody's discussing on places like you know RPG Net and um, you know all the other similar forums. That I I think it's, it's really the hobby's never been healthier. Uh, so what else are you reading or playing right now? Um, yeah, we actually talked to Robin Laws uh, about Mutant City Blues at Gen Con. And uh, we'll be posting that sometime in the next few weeks. But uh, are there any other games you picked up there, or uh, that you're reading, or uh, or even some of the classic games that you're playing right now? Yeah, totally. I, I picked up a few. Um, a few. I, I raided the uh, the Forge booth. Picked up a few indies that I not uh, picked up before. I grabbed Polaris because I wanted something that was a little outside the box, which turned out to be an extremely cool game with some some delicious mechanical stuff that I am so going to steal. Um, the uh, it's it's one of those GM free games, but it divides up game master authority based on who's sitting in front of you and who's sitting to your left and your right at, at a four person table. So, you know, you you get that kind of GM player adversarialness to it without an actual game master, and so all the uh, all the players at the table have a similar level of control and authority, and it shifts around and gets into that scene framing thing. Um, turned out to be very 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 cool. Um, I picked up something called, uh, uh, let's see, Mr. Gate, uh, which is a wuja game in the kind of blood opera, everybody dies at the end mode. And I originally, it, dropped, it popped out of my radar on an RPG net thread talking about strange, intimidating people that bring real weapons to games. And it, it was mentioned because it's a, it's a game that, that the resolution mechanic actually involves... Uh, a knife at the table, which you use to stab character sheets with, and um, I wasn't sure if it was a a kind of gimmick or if it was, you know, inspired. But after having read it, I, I'm I'm definitely leaning towards inspired. I think it could produce some kind of amazing gameplay. Um, and there seems to be some pretty good recipes in that book as well. <laughs> what else did I did I snag? I, I snagged um, Primetime Adventures because I've meant to I've, I've meant to grab that forever, and it's 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 pretty marvelous. The reviews are true. Um, I, on the on the sort of the, the bigger hardcover, gorgeously illustrated side of things, I did a great trade for the Hollowbirth Expedition core book uh, for one of my monster comps, and it's a marvelously put together pulp setting. Uh, which gives you everything you could possibly want in a pulp setting. I mean, it's just it's just a gorgeous pulp setting. Beautifully put together book, well illustrated, great design. Like, it's it's really top flight. Uh, golly, what else did I snag? Um, 
Hmm. There are a couple of other things. I, I, right now, I've been I've been doing so much writing that I haven't I've had the chance to play as mu- anywhere near as much as I wanted to. We played Redbox Hack last time with our semi weekly group, and that was a a seriously it wasn't it was it was funny because it was it was nothing like old D and D. Like I think originally it was intended to be a a riff on classic old school Redbox D and D, but it ended up with a completely different, entirely Gonzo sort of sort of play style. Um, we eventually ended up breaking it. <laughs> we totally broke the game, and the game master said, "All right, we're done." <laughs> uh, nice. Well, I'll have to check that out. Um, now, uh, lastly, of course, you usually ask the uh, the guest if they have any particularly funny or infamous gaming anecdotes, you know, the one that got away or the, uh, their own version of the gazebo story or, uh, any other thing. (laughs) So, uh, are there, do you have any war stories that you, uh, tend to, uh, tell? Well, when I, uh, probably about what it's a, it's the sort of thing that speaking of another RPG net thread, the gigantic creepy gamers thread, um, I'm posting most of my stories there, but the I see the one that sticks with me the most is when I basically my roommate and I were, were looking for a game, and we lived in St. Augustine, Florida, which nothing was happening, uh, but Jacksonville had had a fair, fairly good game scene, so we trucked to Jacksonville to a game shop, which will remain nameless, um, looking to find some something to play maybe bi-weekly, you know, to justify the drive. And we got in on this D and D game that had been going on forever, and they had an open open chair, so they let us play. And it ended up being it was the only time I think I've ever gamed, and, and every stereotype was was represented, and just and just played to almost perfectly. Um, like it was it was it was almost unbelievable, like how hard they pushed the the, the 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 creepy gamer stuff. I mean, you had the guy that smelled like urine and the one guy that did nothing but mumble and you know the two guys that that acted like Beavis and Butthead the whole time and smelled like you know something indescribable and you know the whole group was led by you know this you know this woman that sort of lorded over all of these guys that were you know sort of I don't know they were all creepily obsessed with her attention and my roommate and I ended up sitting at this table and while we were both pretty weird, you know, against that backdrop, we shown, you know, as as positively ordinary and mundane. Um, but we, it had it had the worst aspects of falling into somebody's heavily homebrewed, you know, long running D and D game plus every possible horrible stereotype, and then going into it as as the new meat that had to sort of we had to, we had to go through this sort of group hazing before they would accept us as, as, as members of the group and so that lasted all of one session and we decided that the, the no gaming was was way better than that kind of gaming <laughs> uh yeah i uh i've had some pretty bad high school games that uh sound kind of similar to what you're talking about and that's sort of where i of course the, where when i played it was in an apartment uh, there was wallpapered with uh, porn pinups, so uh, after that, I decided that. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what is it with porn guy? Yeah, I totally. T- porn guy was. I think you game master of a vampire game. I I, I played one session of. <laughs> yeah, that 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 was sort of where I learned the same lesson. No ga- bad, 
no gaming is, is better than uh, bad gaming. So uh, uh, a lesson for us all. But uh, anyways. Uh, oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, thanks, Ben, for uh, uh, talking uh, to me. And uh, we'll, whenever the next monster supplement comes out or whenever you have another project to talk about, we'll uh, uh, have you on here. And uh, thanks again.